Like Family with Brenda Donoghue. In this edition of Like Family, I am meeting the millennials. Danielle is going to Australia. I'm talking to friends over in Sydney and they're saying, oh, jeez, you never guess who I ran into down there at Sydney Harbour and they're saying, you know, X, Y and Z. And so everyone's over there at the minute. It'll be like walking through a nice town, really. Alan is getting married. When my mum and dad were that age, they had a house and they had two kids. Back 20 years, 30 years ago, it was probably a lot easier to live in this country. But now it's, it's so damn expensive now. Jane, married with two children, is house hunting. But it's about getting the house now because we don't want to conceive again until we have a house, until we've got somewhere where we can bring our baby home. Paul is living in Melbourne. After work, we try to go down to the beach. Um, Melbourne's not a great place for surfing, but you know, if the weather's nice, it's always nice to go for a swim. Denise wants to return to education. I would love to get back into education. I'm stuck where I am through, there's no grant available to me unless I might be living out on my own. But at the same point, I can't afford to move out on my own. Aoife is working hard, freelancing. It's frustrating though as well because you know that you're working hard and then you haven't got the money to kind of do everything that you want to do. When you reach a certain age, like you kind of want your own kind of like privacy and your own kind of life and your own space really, you know. And you can join the conversation on Twitter at Brenda Donoghue or email brenda at rte.ie. Millennials are basically anybody born between 1980 and 1996, so that makes them anywhere between 20 and 36. Grace Binchy is a marketing expert who's looked at this generation for board beer. They are the largest generation that we have right now and they're about to enter into their prime spending years which makes them hugely influential. They're going to shape the economy over the foreseeable future. Their community is their friends, you know, their church is their friends. That's, that's where their life is lived. And they want to spend their money on experiences rather than on things, on possessions. And an experience now is not an experience unless it's shared. So that's all about showcasing their lives online. So whether that's showcasing their mud running or their triathlons or their holidays in South America, it's all lived out online, which is very different to previous generations. Certainly when I was growing up, uh, we were expressing ourselves through music, uh, if you remember. Uh, and <laughs> You know I do. <laughs> and fashion, television, all those things influenced the way we were. But now actually millennials are expressing themselves through food. So food has become hip. It's as hip as the music is at the festivals, which is something that's completely different. This generation are at an age when their parents' generation would have married, bought a house, got a secure job and started a family. Grace's research shows that although millennials can make very interesting lifestyle choices, their lives are not without complexity. You know, for all the wonderfulness of technology, it does make their lives more complex. There is a pressure to be more beautiful. They're living in this selfie celebrity Kardashian culture where they have to post pictures of themselves, look fabulous. And then, you know, there's the financial pressures that they live in and the, the times they live in, in terms of being able to get out there now and buy property. I mean, all the studies would suggest that it's next to impossible for them to be able to buy any property right now. Um, our studies would have told us that they're feeling the pressure of higher rents. They're wanting to move out of home, be with their partners. They have more bills to pay, yet some of them find themselves double jobbing, um, going back to study. So it is a complex world they live in. It is a complex world, all right. But I can't decide whether millennials are a lucky generation or a lost generation. What are we doing with you today? Uh, just 
blow dry. Big right. body yeah. for tonight. Yeah. I was getting my hair done recently and it seemed like a very busy, normal Saturday in a hair salon. Are you all right if she cuts hair while <laughs> she's she doesn't make a mess? Yeah. <laughs> normal day, no. My eldest is emigrating to Australia and Brenda, I'm absolutely devastated mm. because she can't get a job, um, proper job, mm. here at all. I've kept her here for a couple of years. Working in the hair salon. Working in the hair salon, training mm. away. Mm. Um, but there's nothing at the end of it for her, really. Mm. You know, she wants something bigger and brighter and further fields are greener and there's work over there for her. How do you feel about the fact that it's Australia? It's too far. Mm. It's too far. It's 36 hours away. It's a huge expense for all of us to go over and see her together. Mm. Um, it's devastating. I'm devastated, Brenda. Mm. I'm absolutely, I am. A physical pain. Heartbreak. Heartbroken. Absolutely heartbroken. Mm. Gutted. Pain in my chest. Can't cope. It's like mm. I'm losing somebody. Mm. You know, and I know it's only a phone call away and we have Skype and we have Viber and we have all those new, this new technology, but I can't physically hold her. I can't touch her. I can't cry with her. I can't laugh with her. We can't make memories mm. anymore. You mentioned Danielle was your eldest, right? Yeah. So there's other children. When you look past Wednesday... How do you feel the structure of your family is going to be affected? A bit quieter in the house, (laughs) to be honest with you. Um, Danielle is the life of the family. Mm. Oh, she's the soul of the family. Mm. She's the funny one. (laughs) I have to give you a hug. Okay. She is the one you can rely on that you're having a bad day. She will come in and pull you out of it Mm. and make everything right. Mm. I don't mean to upset you because you're trying to cut this woman's hair and we're all in tears. What's your name? Gillian. Gillian, have you experience of emigration as well? It's my son that's going with Adrian's daughter. Oh my God. (laughs) And what's your son's name? Kieran. He's the eldest as well. The only boy, so Mm. very upset. But delighted that they're experiencing it. It's just as Adrian said, it's so far away, so... Mm. It'll be uh, heartbreaking. So the two mammies are left behind. And the gas thing is, all the bad memories are gone. Mm. All the boldness, all the cheekiness, all the climbing out the windows at night to meet their friends and <laughs> meeting each other. Yeah. No more Kieran's ca- car coming up the road. and No scrambled egg in the morning. No toast made for me. <laughs> you know, just... And <laughs> looking into her bedroom, I keep going into her bedroom when she's not there now to get used to her not being there. Mm. So Kieran is going with Danielle to Australia. Yeah. Is there any part of you as mothers that feels a little bit angry that it's come to this, that they actually have to go? Massive. Mm. Absolutely massive. Mm. That this, the way the country has turned out and this is what, this is all there is for this generation. Even though they've worked hard in school, they've tried their best. You know, they're dropping CVs around everywhere to get the jobs that they deserve from their qualifications and it's a closed door everywhere and you know it's it's it, it's it's not right it's not right do you feel their expectations were too high no no no, no. we no. didn't raise them no. like that no. no we didn't i didn't raise my children as celtic cubs mm. they were taught the value of everything that they were given and they were told that we had to work so hard for this and mommy and daddy had to do this for this um and I think they're, I think we've instilled that value of money onto them. But it's not right that our generation has to leave us. Mm. You know? and, 
And what about he's your only boy? He is. Okay. Is that hard? Very hard. Yeah. Very hard. Like it's if I feel sick to the pit of my stomach, I'm delighted that they're going off and having this adventure and everything. But like Adrian said, it's the not being able to just give him a hug when you need it. He just said to me the other day when he was texting me about something, he went, uh, can't be doing this when I'm in Australia. And I was like, well, I'll always be at the, at the end of a phone. Mm. It's just the not being physically able to give him a hug if, it, if he needs it or anything like that. Is there any positive to be taken from it? I think the fact that they're going together must give yeah. you both as mothers, yeah. uh, uh, I suppose, a sense of consolation. Yeah, no, it does. And, it, you know, it helps to know that he's not going to be out there on his own. And I think a positive as well is that, you know, they only decided in January and they've really put their minds to getting the money together and getting themselves organised. And I'm, like, really proud of them that they've done that because before that it was kind of like, ah, sure, it'll never happen. They've really put their minds to mm. it and worked hard to get there. Mm. The other thing that I feel very sad about is, and I think other mothers as well will relate to this, is you give birth to them, you raise them to the best of your ability, and you're ready for communions, you're ready for confirmations, you're ready for engagements, marriages, but you're not ready for leaving. No. And no one can prepare any mother or father for that. Yeah. I'm not ready. I'm not ready for it. I didn't expect it. That's it. What have you said to your other children about her going? <laughs> we haven't discussed it because it's too emotional. Mm. We're all just brushing it under the carpet. We never actually thought they'd get their visas. We never thought they'd get the money together. You know, um, but the others are devastated. Devastated, you know. But that's it, Brenda. Danielle is over on the other side of the salon putting in a hair colour. So with four days to go, How's she feeling? Um, nervous. Yesterday it hit me. Yesterday I got sick here because I just got very nervous. But um, no, I'm really excited. Though she's nervous, Danielle knows she's as likely to run into school friends in Sydney as she is in the main street in Nace. An awful lot of people from my year um, have been over there. I'm seeing on Facebook, you know, such and such has moved to Sydney, such and such has moved to Perth, such and such. And I'm like, no way, no way. And... I'm talking to friends over in Sydney and they're saying, oh, jeez, you never guess who I ran into down there at Sydney Harbour and they're saying, you know, X, Y and Z. And so everyone's over there at the minute. So it, I don't feel like, oh, I'm never going to see anyone, you know, that kind of way, because it'll be like walking through a nice town, really. <laughs> Seeing all your friends. Exactly, yeah. And do you think that's a reflection on Ireland today? Oh, definitely. There has to be a reason. Has to be a reason. Now, I know travelling's great, but... I don't think the reason why half the people that I went to school with are over there for travel reasons. Mm. I say they're over there because they don't really have another choice. Do you know what I mean? How does that make you feel? It's a shame, really. Do you know what I mean? It's Because you're looking at this country and, like, I grew up in a boom. Do you know what I mean? And then when I hit my teenage years, it was recession-like. So it's just sad to see the way the country's gone and stuff. And, unfortunately, people are spending thousands and getting themselves into debt from student loans and then next of all when they're finished they have their masters they have their degree they're just sitting there on it with a piece of paper and can't do anything with it nowadays you know so I definitely believe everyone should go and travel and see and experience different cultures and stuff. As Danielle prepares to go one last word from her mum Adrienne. My advice is stay strong and follow your dreams Mm. and I love you. And what about you, Gillian? She's going to be minding your son now to, s- to a certain extent. Well, I would say to make sure, because Kieran isn't great at keeping in touch, she will make sure that he rings me at least once a week. But yeah, no, I am delighted and I really hope that they enjoy themselves while they're over there. Okay, you're saying while they're over there, you see them coming back. 
<laughs> yeah, hopefully. Hopefully. <laughs> Do you see them coming back? I'd love her to come back and settle here and start with buy millions. a house and with her millions that mm. she's going to make and um, buy a house and have a family and you know but mm. if that isn't what's meant for her that's fine okay. that's fine it's her life okay. she has to live her life Ruth Gerty is a sociologist and co-author of a book called Family Rhythms I asked her in a hundred years time how will her profession view Danielle's generation? Well I've heard people refer to this generation as a lost generation and I think uh, that kind of um, picks up on the idea of the precariousness of the way in which they live. Whereas in the past uh, people might look at um, emigration as a solution to not being able to find um, you know a job in early adulthood there was a sense that they could go abroad to a, a country like America or Australia and really make it. But as those countries are also struggling with their own, with the same issues that Ireland is struggling with, many people have no real sense of whether they can even establish themselves successfully in these other countries. Alan left for Las Vegas when things were looking bleak for him at home. But things are looking up now and he's back in Cavan and he's marrying Adele tomorrow. Absolutely. And it only seems like yesterday when he was since he was born. I know. The time flies, Brenda. And you know that. I know. Looky them, where are they by the way? Where's Alan and his friend Paul? Uh, Paul. Actually they're in the sitting room. His friend is Paul, who now lives in Melbourne. There's a lot of photos there that I haven't seen. There's New Zealand. You were there for a couple of days. That's Queenstown. That's paragliding. Yeah, paragliding out over the lake. The views are spectacular. Your eyes yeah, are closing that one. Down. I don't think it's I'm afraid. But, <laughs> yeah. but Paul explained that the boys go back a long way. Yeah, well, me and Alan have grown up with each other since we were like two years old. We're next door neighbours. We spent all our summer holidays kicking football in the back garden and, you know, being up to no good, I suppose. Yeah. Had our first drinks together. Yeah, we did. Yeah. Uh, well, I think. You, well, I was. You I was maybe. First I gave you your first drink. Yeah, and um, probably first smoke as well. Yeah, and don't say that. Don't let anybody yeah. know that. That's when, like we were young and stupid at around fourteen or fifteen. Yeah. <laughs> we thought yeah, we, we were the coolest, the bus coolest lads in the town. Yeah. We used to jump off the school bus and go across the road into the field and uh, light up. We didn't inhale, did we? No, we didn't. We didn't even inhale. We just. Went yeah. and then coughed for about an hour. It's great. So, you've come all the way back from Melbourne for yeah. the wedding. Oh yeah, definitely. I wasn't going to miss it. You know, there's only one or two weddings I'll ever, you know, that would take me home from Australia. And you know, Alan's a good mate, so he'd be one of them. And my sister's getting married at the end of the year, so I suppose I better come home for that as well. <laughs> I'm marrying Idel McKenna from Monaghan. Um, during the downturn it was time to get out of here and get it, get away for a year and uh, we had a business we, my family had a local business in Cavan Town and things weren't looking great and just wasn't wasn't going well and it was time for me to jump ship and get out so I headed for Vegas and went there in February of 2012 and met Idel the day I got there and uh, it was possibly the best year of my life um, and tomorrow is going to be culmination of all those of that year when I married El in Cavan so it'll be good yeah it'll be, it's a big day big day today lots of running around to be done afterwards and uh, tomorrow's going to be a big big very big day yeah looking forward to it I see vans are pulling up people are delivering things it's all go 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 what have you to do today by the way today I have to go pick up my suit I have to go to the hotel to drop off some little bits and pieces that I forgot to do yesterday and um, I just see 
I see Paul's dad actually just arriving and my other groomsman and the Culligan. Yeah. What else do I have to do? Oh, I have to I have to put up more signs as well. Signs to get people from Monaghan to the venue because the venue's tucked away in a little corner of Cavan on the la- on the shores of Loch Sheelan. So, uh, yeah, I have to do that. And it's Yeah, it's going to be a busy day, but we're not too bad if everything organised. Paul and Alan seem comfortable anywhere in the world, taking opportunities whenever they arise. Paul's itchy feet led him to Melbourne. I work... As a sustainability engineer, um, when I graduated, I had a job in Edinburgh and got itchy feet and decided to go travelling for a while and ended up in Melbourne, loved it, um, found a bit of work and still there. So, And what do you love about it? Describe the lifestyle. Yeah, it's it's a great city for young people. It's um, been voted most livable city in the world a couple of years in a row and in summer it's awesome. There's something on every weekend, um, different festivals, food festivals, um, concerts. It's just, it's a great place for a young person to live. What are the hobbies? Oh, during the summer, I um, after work, we try to go down to the beach. Um, Melbourne's not a great place for surfing, but, you know, if the weather's nice, it's always nice to go for a swim. And, uh, yeah, go for a swim, go, go for a beer outside somewhere, go for a kick around with a few of the lads. It's... Similar to here in that way, but I suppose the weather is a bit nicer. Talking to you, Paul, you're very happy there. Yeah, for the time being, anyway, I'm, I'm still loving life over there. So until I stop loving it, you know, I think it's going to be my home. I'm not ready to leave yet. Alan's mum and dad emigrated just for a few years when they were young. Alan compares how his parents' generation and his generation think about emigration. Nowadays, with regards to myself, when I left, I left out of necessity. But at the same time, I wanted to go and experience new things as well. Go to a different country and live in a different country, and especially in a place like Vegas. For Paul, it was he got itchy feet and he headed off and he got good work and he's and he's happy there. But I don't think back when our parents were going over to my parents went to America, and they went over. I don't think it was more so to experience much. I think it was more so to go and work. And anybody that you've talked to down the years or that I've talked to, anyway, when they went to America, they worked and they worked their socks off. With us, yes, we're going over and working our socks off, but we're also living as well. Because back then it was, oh, make as much money as you can and send some of it home back to the family back in Ireland. Now it's go out, work our socks off, but also have yeah. have a good life. Because yeah. the... The tools are there to go and do it in these different countries like New Zealand, like Australia, like America, like Toronto or, or Canada. There's so much more to experience in them other countries. Think about your own parents and the, the, the age that you are at now, where they were at in their life. How does it compare? Oh, God, I'm 32 now. So when my mom and dad were that age, uh, they probably would have had a house. They had a house and they had two kids. They were full-time working. Mom would have been singing and... The dad was working full time so at this, uh, at this stage of my life I'm just getting married at 32 I have a full time job thank God um, I think it would have been a, it's a lot different it's a lot different compared to back then it's just the way the, the, way the country works yeah. and with economy as well I think economy has a lot to do with it because if you don't have the security of a good job and the security of your family around you I yeah. think it, it totally changes like back 20 years 30 years ago it was probably a lot easier to live in this country but now it's it's so damn expensive now. Young people's priorities have changed as well. You know, back then it was more get married, build a house, have a couple of kids and away you go. You know, 
I suppose it's harder for young people to buy houses and our generation, they're a lot older before they can think about owning and job security doesn't seem to be as easily available mm-hmm. now. You know, back then it, you get a job, it's, it's your job for life. But now, you know, you have to have the ability to move around and change, I suppose. Yeah. You have to be able to adapt as well. Like For me, like I'm lucky enough in the job that I'm in. It's a very secure job and it's a great job. I work for a company in Monaghan called AgriHealth mm. and they're a very, very strong company. But like I know for a lot of people that work elsewhere, you're getting a month here, maybe two months, maybe six months. A lot of people are holding on to you for six months and then getting rid of you. So it's tough for a lot of people to get that job security. And like Paul said, it's the family landscape has changed. It's now get a job, be secure, instead of getting the kids, getting the wife and getting the house. They used to be all the ingredients of living. Now it's get a job. Yeah. That's your life. Your job is your life nearly at this stage. Alan and Paul are taking their chances in a global world. So are things better in Melbourne? People over there are facing the same difficulties as here in terms of housing. Maybe not so much as work, but um, house prices are very high. But I have a few friends who've moved home recently and by all accounts, um, rental prices are higher in Dublin than they are in, in Melbourne, which is seems pretty crazy given that the, the lack of work, I suppose, that's out there. Paul, life sounds wonderful in Melbourne. Yeah. What about home? What about those left behind? I miss family and friends and miss Ireland. Um, you know, as time goes by, you'd like to say it it, it gets easier, but I'm, I'm always going to miss Ireland. Um, but the way the world is now, that you have to have the ability to um, be able to get up and go and leave, you know, leave home if... You know, if, if another economic crisis hits, um, you just have to be ready to be able to uh, get up and go. And, you know, you're going to have to leave people behind if if you want to get by in life. That's tough, isn't it? You have, yeah. to, make, you have to make the difficult decisions and go, yeah. go for it. Take the but, jump, as they say. Yeah, exactly. Paul and Alan are pragmatic about the difficult decisions that just have to be taken. They took the jump. But what if you're not quite ready to go? My next stop is Carrick and Shore, where Denise meets me outside her local supermarket. She's been working happily there for eight years, but I wondered, is she actually stuck in a rut? Not to use the bad connotations of that word, but yeah, I kind of am. I'm kind of stuck where I am at the minute. Mm. I would love to be an English teacher. English would be my passion. And that's what I studied in school. I went to UCC in Cork for one year and I studied that. But fun has dried up. And I'm back in my little part-time job, but only now it's full-time. Mm. Whereas I would love to get back into education. I'm stuck where I am through, there's no grant available to me unless I might be living out on my own. But at the same point, I can't afford to move out on my own. Because I live with my parents, I'll be means-tested. If you're living on your own or you put maybe on Job Seekers Allowance or on the dole, there are other stairways available to you that may not be available to those in full-time employment. If you roll forward maybe 10 years, do you feel you're going to be an English teacher or will you still be here in super value? I don't know. I wish I had a more sure answer. If it's paying my wages and there's nothing else available, I would be more than happy to be here. But hopefully I'll get somewhere in that line that I would love to be. Do you feel your situation is isolated? I wouldn't say it's isolated. I think it's maybe compounded by being in a smaller town. Like, in our local school, there was a very large graduating class of us, 80 to 90 pupils. And a third of those have emigrated. Canada, Australia, New Zealand. 
um, Boston, America, everywhere, or if even if they haven't emigrated, they're in different parts of the country. I have two or three friends who live in Dublin. There's a couple up in Donegal who moved up that way. Another one is down in Cork. There's no one set around this area. Everyone has to move to pursue what they want to do. If you wanted to stay in this area in Carrick, that's fine. You might not be what you want to be, but you can stay in the town. Is it harder then? I think say on previous generations. Maybe it's been mother or daughter, but you're always in your head. She was married at my age. She had this at my age. She had her first car at my age. Okay, I have a car, but I don't have the guy. I don't have the kids. I don't have the job I would love to pursue. So you're looking going, maybe it was a little easier. Okay, it was different times, but maybe to reach what you wanted was a little bit easier. It wasn't put on such a high pedestal for people back then. Um, so, like I said, I live at home, right, with my parents. Mm-hmm. So if you want, I can show you the way, bring you out to the house, and we'll yeah. have a chat on the way. Mummy will be more than happy to put the kettle on, and we'll have a nice little chat. All right, let's do okay. it. Perfect. Lovely. We'll call into Tom and Irene later on. Denise and her sister, Claire, have not quite finished their degrees and are finding it very hard to get back into education. Their experience is not unique, but it worries them. Education is key to the transition to adult independence. That's according to Ruth Geraghty, and it impacts on life chances. Um, a factor that's been identified as key for successful transitioning is education. Um, and people who find themselves caught in that bracket where they're just not quite able to um, access education because of financial constraints are often the ones most at risk of being left behind. So as um, Irish society becomes more professionalised, as access to a career path requires degrees and postgraduate qualifications, people who struggle to actually get into that trajectory are most likely to suffer long-term inequality. Is there a sense that heightened expectations have ill-equipped young people for reality? I've heard that said and I think it's a bit cruel to say that maybe young people are aiming too high. I I believe that the real um, issue or insecurity for young people is a sense of um, not really knowing what they need to do in order to be able to support themselves. So I think for previous generations... Um, you may have had a dream to have a certain kind of role that really wasn't very secure and you may then have decided okay I'll do the solid employment thing and I might do the other thing in my spare time so you know there were decisions you could make as an individual in order to stabilize your future but I think for many young people um, even the ones that want to follow a very solid career path you know working in the public sector as a, a teacher or a nurse or whatever find that this employment sector is so precarious um, you know, the the difficulties in accessing the education that's required in order for them to get into this employment, it just makes the whole pathway so very difficult and impossible for them. Um, so I think it's it's probably unfair to say that they have aspirations that are above what's normal for someone in their, you know, early 20s or so. Denise lives in Carrick and Shore. Eve is the same age and she lives in Dublin. So I call in to see her in her granny's house. Delighted to see you. How are you, Margaret? I'm good. What a beautiful day. Oh, it's lovely, thank God. Yes. And Aoife lives here with you? Uh, well, she's between her own home and here with mm. us. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it's great having her. It's yeah. good company. I say that. Yeah, yeah great Keeps you kind of with it, does it? It does. It yeah. does indeed, yeah. <laughs> and I'm looking over her shoulder at her doing her work. And where did she get that from, that wit? Um, well, her mam. Mm. Was yeah. was very, very witty altogether. Yeah. So I think it comes from there, as well as her, her art. You yeah. know, she was very artistic. 
Yeah, and her mum passed away, your daughter, of course. Yes, yeah, 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 suddenly. Yes. But mm. we have to yeah. get on with it. Shall I bring you out the back then to her? Yeah. Brandy, or will I bring her in? No, no, we'll go out and sit in the sunshine. Why? You this, might as well make, make You might as well make the most yeah. of it. I'll leave you to it then, Brenda. I'll Lovely to meet you, Margaret. Will I have a cup of tea? I might have a cup, yeah. Lovely. Just a bit of milk. Aoife is an illustrator and she's devised a character called Nikita and her illustrations of your one Nikita have become a thing on social media. Aoife explained to me about Nikita and Nikita's friend Tanya. Nikita and Tanya would be like best friends so they tell each other everything yeah. like and uh, they always walk to the centre and get chicken fillet rolls. Uh, she loves, yeah, she loves shopping in pennies. Uh, always kind of wear, would wear things from pennies and then she'd have like uh, her Nike Air Max like that are like uh, like just pure white like and you, you, 200 you, quid yeah 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 well yeah they'd be you're pure white like always clean them up baby wipes or toothpaste which I, I found out myself is the best way to clean the white bit in your runners it's a good tip trust me try it she has her boyfriend Anto as well like so like a lot of her uh, world would revolve around uh, him and her and their relationship and like they, they, they'd always have a fight and they'd make up and he'd kind of do like uh, stupid things like that like he wouldn't be really thinking but he'd think he'd be like. re- re- real romantic like for example um uh, he put uh, her engagement ring in a spice bag when she was hung over and she ate it and then she swallowed the ring and she was in A&E for a couple of hours then and uh, she was going mad because obviously like she'd been waiting for him to propose for a long time and then when he finally did he put the ring in to the spice bag and she swallowed it like so it's this kind of thing but they're both young they're both in their like early 20s and you know just kind of starting out but they're both like still living at home like they wouldn't be living together or anything just, and we yeah. love the spice bag don't we yeah. tell us about the, the spice bag for people who don't understand oh, yeah. why the spice bag is so important to your generation yeah the spice bag is basically um, it's, it's you get in a Chinese takeaway or curry shop and it's basically um, it's basically just uh, chips uh, crispy chicken uh, vegetables and then it has like uh, chilli flakes or like a uh, seasoning on it and then you get it if you're lucky if you get it from a good curry shop you get it with a tub of curry sauce and a can of coke or whatever for like five between five to ten euro like it is and uh, it's the best thing to cure a hangover but um, I don't know where the whole phenomenon came with it like so I just kind of incorporated it into my work because uh, in town like they'd uh, be eating um, they'd be eating spice bags all the time like after like a night out or like even if we'd go in we'd sit there and we'd be watching like the likes of Holly Oaks or uh, Big Brother whatever's on like just that kind of TV and then we'd get a spice bag in uh, I think it's the New Victoria it's on Dorset Street Okay so you won Nikita's bun her bun is very important to her look yeah, the bun is uh, her main uh, her main feature. That's a she makes her kind of instantly recognisable, and she uses it to like you know if she's going out like she her, her bun is big enough like that she'd be able to like hide a nagging in it going out to a club and the the bouncer wouldn't catch her with her because like who who's gonna check someone's hair? Nobody. Maybe you're giving some people some ideas. Yeah, yeah. She's a great character and very popular for you on Instagram. You're now writing a book. You're one Nikita. Looking forward to it coming out. But Eva, how much of you? Is in this character with the bun and the spice bag and Anto, the boyfriend. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like it's mainly based around like when I would have been growing up in Kulak and the people I would have been hanging around with. And uh, it's all kind of like would have been based around things that I've done, someone I know has done or 
something I've heard on a bus like so it's kind of it, it's a mixture of a load of different things you know so it is it is a little bit about you oh, your yeah, friends yeah. your generation things oh, yeah, that make yeah, you yeah. laugh yeah. things you like to eat how you like yeah, to party yeah definitely about yeah it'd be definitely about like uh, yeah exactly like my generation and growing up in uh, that kind of area and yeah it'd be it, a, lot, a lot of it would be kind of things that I've done like and it's it's uh, the most random thing I've ever done but it's definitely the best thing I've ever done so well, Dublin Hun is fun and it's very popular. But really, what are the challenges of being a young freelance graphic artist and illustrator? Basically, like, as you know, anyone like working freelance, like, you, you, it's hard to kind of find work and you have to chase it. It's like a taxi driver, like, when you're in a taxi and you're driving around, no one wants you. But then when you have someone picked up, everyone wants you. It's like Murphy's Law. Is that, the, is that yeah, yeah, yeah. So, do you know what I mean? It's the same with what I do as well. Like, you'd have no work and then once you have something on, then everyone wants to... to yeah, do a bit of work with you or you know that kind of way so you know, I just kind of take it as it comes but like there'd be weeks that like I wouldn't really make ending and then there'd be some weeks that I'd make enough money to kind of you know be able to live or to save up to do something else you know that kind of way like but it definitely wouldn't be enough that I'd be able to uh, move out and be able to support myself full time I'd, I'd you know I haven't really hit that point yet it's frustrating though as well because you know that you're working hard and then you haven't got the money to kind of do everything that you want to do do you know the kind of way like so like for me like I'd love to move out and live with my boyfriend and you know have our own place and our own space because he lives at home and then I'm living at home and when you reach a certain age like you kind of want your own kind of like privacy and your own kind of life and your own space really you know so and I feel like I can't just do that yet because I haven't I haven't got the money like so you're saying to me some months you could be flush other months there's nothing I can't move out with the boyfriend. What does that do to your head? Do you feel your life's on pause? Yeah, it feels like your life's on pause, even though, like, like with the work that I do, it feels like I'm getting further with that. Like, it feels like I'm getting places with my work. But in my own personal life, it doesn't really, because like, I still feel like that I'm a teenager. Like, I haven't... Like, don't get me wrong, like, I'm very lucky to have a home, like, homes, like, living with my nan, and then I have my other house that, like, I, I go to, like, every so often as well, like, with my where my dad and my sister live, and... Like, I'm very lucky, but at the same time, like, yeah, it does feel like my life is on pause, like, and I like, can't really do the things that I want to do. And tell me, what impact do you think, living at home or living between your dad and your nan and your boyfriend, what impact does that have on them? Do they worry about you? Yeah, like, they, they, yeah, they'd be worried about me, like, as well, because obviously I'd be kind of jumping around the place, like, and I kind of don't have really uh, my own kind of space, really, where I'd work all the time. Like, you know, I kind of... But sometimes I'd be in my house and then sometimes I'd be in my nana's and then sometimes I'd be in my boyfriend's, like, you know. And Have you heard of the expression kiddled? No. Aoife hasn't heard the term kiddled, but it's become a popular term for millennials living at home, as Ruth Gertie explains. The term a kiddled is referring to uh, young adults who are um, still very much reliant on their parents, you know, most likely still living at home and maybe behaving in ways or relating to their parents in a manner that's quite similar to what they might have been doing during their childhood. Um, I think it's kind of a cruel label because the only reason usually why someone is back living at home or stuck living at home is because they're failing to find ways to get out of living at home. So, you know, those larger issues that are going on around employment and, you know, um, affordability of housing, that's the reason why they're at home. But you will hear people say, oh, they get all these luxuries, they get their laundry done, they get their dinner cooked for them. Why would they leave? Does that describe you or your friends? Yeah, like I'd, I'd still live at home, and to be honest, like my, my nana has me spoiled. Like, what does she um, do for you? Like she, uh, she bakes every 
every Monday and Thursday, so I'd uh, be getting like scones and stuff. Uh, I'd be working at the table, like uh, the end of the kitchen table, and she'd be bringing me cups of tea, this kind of thing. Like oh, I'm, I'm ruined, like in that kind of sense. Yes, yeah, so, yeah, she's a cup of tea oh, now. She's come yeah. there with a cup. We were just talking about you. Yeah. Oh, thank you. We were actually just talking about you, and here you come out with a cup of tea. She was saying how good you were with the tea. When when did you have your own house, Margaret? Well, I was married at twenty. Yeah. And we lived in a mobile home in my parents' garden for yeah. so long. We must have been seven years married before we had our own home. Mm-hmm. We bought this. We saw it advertised, came looking, drove onto the road, said we wouldn't be lucky enough for it to be that house. And it was. Aww. So obviously you brought your family up. So you were, what, about 27 when you had your own house? Yes, yeah. Three daughters at that stage. Yeah. One on the way. Well, you were busy in the mobile uh, home, uh, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but Aoife here, 24, do you worry that it's harder for her to kind of get oh. on and live a life and start a family and things like that, yeah, the way absolutely. things are nowadays? Just trying to get um, a deposit for a house together, it yeah. just seems impossible. Yeah. Unless she gets a big break. Unless I win the Euro Millions. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and do you worry about her then? I do, I do. Do you think you had it easier in a funny kind of a way? Well, I don't know. It was, it was tough going for us, but I suppose it was easier to get the money together for set up home. Mm. She has the fellow. He's all right. You're happy yeah. with him? Ah, yeah, he's a very nice lad. <laughs> you have to ask our dad, though, what he thinks. Yeah. <laughs> it's lovely that you have such a close relationship. It must be very important to you. Oh, it is, it is. Well... Aoife's mam had her while she was at home here with us. Mm. So we had her for the first four years. Yeah. <laughs> so she's as close as a daughter. Yeah. Ah, she's great company. I presume it's great being here with your nan. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah no, I love, I love staying here. I, I feel more comfortable working here as well. And then just, I don't know, it's just nice, like... Uh, when when you're when there's someone else there as well and you can talk to and have lunch with and you know yeah. and then we'd go to Slim World together as well so we we we'd do that as well so it's kind of nice to I don't know it's nice how's to everybody time doing in Slim World, <laughs> Margaret? Well, I'm not not doing so good. Okay, and what about you? How's Slim World going for you, Eva? Yeah, it's going well, mm. but um, yeah, that's it. My nan only has a couple of pound left to reach her target, so I have to catch up with her. So mm. try and get it together. She's super nanny. Yeah. 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 Thank you so much. Go on, I'll leave you to it. Do you ever imagine that you're going to have your own home? And when will that be and how are you going to get there? Yeah, like I do kind of I, I dream about having my own home because I don't I, I don't really imagine it because I don't know when that's going to be and I know it's not going to be anytime soon. But can you feasibly see a situation where you're living together and you can afford to start a family? Yeah, like I think that I should be able to have a kid whenever I want but um, at the same time like it'd be my choice to kind of wait as well to when I'm up and running but like at the same time it's it's one of those things like where I want to be set up as well but when I'm going to be set up I don't know when that's going to be so I feel like my life's on hold for when I feel like I can get a place somewhere it's yeah I feel like my life's on hold for that and I can't do like the basic things that like a human should be able to do like but I can't mm-hmm. because I haven't got anywhere to kind of I haven't got anywhere that I could settle and have a family like so do you know the way how important is it to you to have a secure job well it's kind of once you have a secure job like everything else kind of falls into place doesn't it you can yeah. you can 
you pay rent you can you can do what you want when you have a, a full-time job like whereas I'd be doing my full-time freelance like I'd work weekends and work right into the night and that kind of thing but like yeah like if you had a full-time job you're kind of you're set up and you're kind of well you can set up that's the main thing you can set up you're not set up you can set up Aoife you've mentioned once or twice and your nana has mentioned it as well your mum passed away when did she pass away? it was May in 2013 so it's just lately just gone three years now so everything kind of did fall apart after that you know I felt like I felt really lonely like and I felt like even though I had like my nana and my boyfriend and everyone else around me I felt like I didn't have I felt like that they weren't really there mm. even though they were there that's just how I felt and I just you kind of needed something else yeah and I just threw all all my energy that I had left into my work you know it's one of those things that like you, you never really get over it, but you just kind of have to learn how to cope with it and it's like there's there is no back to normal there is no normal like you just it, it, it's like a new normal like terrible tough time yeah like a kind of yeah like really to be honest i i didn't really have i couldn't sleep like i had nightmares all the time i didn't tell anyone about them like i just would was so anxious every night like and just um just worried and just worrying about the simplest things i just can't start building up so it was like a mixture of like depression and anxiety so when you have those two things together seeing someone posting up something the other day on facebook and it was like um uh, like depression is when you don't really worry about it and, and then anxiety is when you worry about everything and having the two is like hell and it was like because you kind of like now like i wouldn't say that i'm completely true but like i'm in a lot better place than i was when her mum died Aoife needed help but it was her family who helped her in the end you know the way with the hse and you tried to get the mm. the on the medical card and i couldn't like, they were saying that it was a six month wait like and i was in a really bad place and i couldn't wait six months and i said it to them i was like I was like, sure, like, six months I'll be, I'll be dead by then. Like, that's no use to me. Like, is there anything else I can do in the meantime? And there was, they couldn't help me at all. And so my dad actually had to help me pay for my counselling then because I couldn't afford it. So only for that, like, I was so lucky that I had that. But, like, lots of people don't have that and they kind of just are on their own then. But Aoife isn't on her own. Millennial lives are complex and they're sailing in uncharted waters. But they seem to be resourceful and resilient. Jane is in her late 20s and is so busy sorting out her life. She's now married. Both herself and her husband are working and they've two children, including baby Kitty. They've been saving really hard for a house. So we're taking off in the car because we want to get Kitty asleep and you're going to take me around some of the houses you've looked at, you've put bids on, you aspire to live in yes we are going to a house that um myself and my husband were looking at a while ago it was um listed for 275,000. we placed a bid on it and um we were outbid at 310,000. i don't know what it's gone for it's not gone off in the property price index yet it was our ideal home and um, when we saw it my husband absolutely loved it it's just around the corner from where we're currently living i'm going to turn around so just so you okay. can get a better view of it we're looking at a corner house here in an estate in Tala and you really wanted it and we've the windows down and we're looking out and there is an extension I can see the space. When you look at this house, what are your hopes for your family and the formation of your family? 
that house in particular, and I'm really sad that we didn't get it, has an absolutely massive kitchen. The kitchen dining room is the whole length from the back of the house to the front of the house. It's on the window on the corner there. And I could just imagine having a massive dining table with eight or 12 chairs, not just for having my kids, I'm not planning to have eight or 12 children, but for when my, when my grandchildren come and visit, for Christmas when I have my parents over and my in-laws over, um, for hopefully great-grandchildren if we live that long, to come and visit our house and to be able to come into the house and sit at the big massive table for everybody to be together and that's what I really liked about that house but I can just I, I feel a lot of joy in that house I feel a lot of family and a lot of togetherness in that house it must have been very hard letting it go it was I I still wake up at night hoping that the estate agent's going to ring back and say that the other bidder couldn't get a mortgage so actually they've pulled out we've gone back to 300,000 and uh, we would whip it up at that stage but I know it's not going to happen but I loved it so much it's actually one of the few that we've bidded on so far we've looked at hundreds of thousands of houses it feels like probably maybe about 80 houses but we've bidded on three and that was the one that was the ideal house it had everything in it that we wanted for our family you mentioned there yourself and your husband would like to have more children. Is this whole housing thing, I know you've two already, is it putting the brakes on those thoughts and hopes and dreams? Well, I want to have more children. I'm not a million percent sure about my husband. My husband's very practical and he knows what he wants and he wants to make sure that if we do have more children that we have enough space for them that we've got enough room for them that our other children's lives our children that we currently have that their quality of life isn't going to be affected by bringing more children into the mix and I completely understand that so I suppose the not having a house um, is stopping us in some ways because we want to have a permanent base for all our children but it's about getting the house now because we don't want to conceive again until we have a house until we've got somewhere where we can bring our baby home that's more secure. It's difficult enough in our current home because we don't know when the landlord's going to up the rent to what we can't afford or if she's going to want to sell the house or um, in our last apartment the landlord came back from Australia um, and wanted his apartment back so um, that was difficult when we have to move out of different places. When you're sitting down with your husband right and you're having a chat how important is this whole housing thing in your conversation together? Does it nearly inform everything? We don't really talk about anything else at the moment. Um, a lot of the time it's, oh, I just found this house. I was looking at this house and he'll show me a house and I'll go, oh, I was looking at that house. It's not just that we're going and we're looking at houses in person, but we're doing a lot of research into the houses as well. Um, the last house that we just looked at yourself and myself there, I knew about this man and all his family before I'd even met the estate agent because a little Google search of the address will come up as um, who was living there. How old is Kitty, by the way? Kitty is uh, 14 weeks at the moment. Um, I'm heading back to work quite soon. I'll be going back to work after my 26 weeks of paid leave. We're not able to take unpaid leave. When we went to the bank, they said that it would reflect badly on us because I'm one of the main. I'm the main income in our house, um, and so we made that decision that I'd go back to work. Um, and I've got a bit of holidays that I saved up as well. She won't be seven months by the time I go back to work, um, and it's her life is going to completely change in a few short weeks' time. I'm already planning my um, time back to work, and that's 
solely because of our mortgage if we had bought our house we would be able to work out that we had enough money to pay our mortgage during unpaid leave it's not an issue with finances it's just how the bank is looking at us do you do you feel a little bit cheated for loads of reasons then jane I suppose when I listen to other people who end up do having to go back to work before their child is six months, I really feel that, you know, I'm lucky to get the six months. And I know a few people who've come back from um, Australia who weren't getting paid maternity leave, who've gone back to work when their child is 14 weeks old. Um, but I do, I, I feel cheated out of the time. I'm never going to get that time back with Kitty. Now, she's going to be looked after by my mum. She'll be well looked after. I'm not concerned about her. But it's just, I won't see her first footsteps. I likely won't see her crawl. Um, I've seen her roll over it's, it's going to be difficult and I'm sure she'll miss me as well all because you don't have a house all because we're trying to buy a house but um, do you know we're doing that for our kids as well we're doing that for their sense of permanence um, it's really important our son's lived in eight, nine different addresses um, and he's not even eight years old yet he's had a load of different bedrooms he's sick of moving house all the time um, I want for our children to have a sense that they belong somewhere and do you know it's worth going back to work for that um, but it is it's killing me to go back saying that I love my job I can't wait to get back in some ways but I'm going to miss Kitty. So is this generation worse off than their parents? Ruth Garrity gives me her view. I think they are worse off than their parents because their um, ability to improve their outcomes or their ability to improve their situation is so heavily dependent on the global economy. So I think for the parental generation, there was some sense that if they took a certain career path, they'd have a job for life and they would be able to rely on that and build their family around that. Whereas for this generation, they almost seem stuck in a position of precariousness. They're in precarious employment for longer, precarious living uh, situation for longer, and um, there's no real sense of, um, if I just go back to college and do this qualification, I'll be able to get a secure job and I'll be fine. Mm. Uh, I suppose what is worrying about this generation is, as the housing market has become increasingly financialized, so as we start to see housing as a means to earn capital, the possibility for young people to get on that um, trajectory where they get their first home and now they have a stable base in which to raise their family becomes increasingly impossible for them. So many people of this generation, I suppose, have no real sense of when the day will come that they're actually able to afford their own place, even even just to rent one. There are two big research projects going on in Ireland at the moment. The Grown Up in Ireland survey, looking at the lives of children, and the Tilda survey, looking at the experiences of older people. The idea being that if you have more information about a generation, you can make better policies for them. The millennials, the 20 to 36 year olds, are dealing with an insecure and changing world. But there is yet no specific study of this generation. I'm going to take Denise up on her offer to meet her parents, Tom and Irene. They're watching their young children make their way in the world. They are the real experts and I'm really interested in what they have to say. Over here, Irene. Hello, how are you? And this is... Hiya, Brenda. Tom. Hiya, Tom. How are you? And we have a little baby, Irene. We have Brenda, five weeks old today. Oh. Charlie. I have to have a little hold, OK? <laughs> you can. <laughs> I had great chats with Denise, so I'd like to get your perspective on a couple of things, if that's OK. Yeah, fine. <laughs> <laughs> Do you mind me ask, what is it like to have Denise? She's 24. 
still living at home. I know she's a very pleasant person and all that, but <laughs> what are your feelings about it, Irene? She is. She's a, she's a great girl, I have to say, but she needs her own space. She can't be living at home forever. Do you feel that she's kind of stagnant where she is? You don't yeah, mind talking about yeah, it, do Yeah, <laughs> I do, I do. I'm worth it. <laughs> yeah. Does it worry you? It does. I'd like her to to change her career path, you know, to get something better in life. We're in the position, I suppose, today that she's lucky that she has a job. Yeah. Anybody yeah. that has a job at the moment is lucky. But she's a very intelligent girl. Uh, not just Denise, but Claire as well. The two of them are very talented that way. But they're just not getting the option of, of fulfilling their potential and to have a young person to turn around before they even get on a property market and have to borrow 30 or 40 grand to put themselves through college. I mean, that's, that's madness. If you look back at your time and when you were in your very early 20s mm. and you got married and you probably got a mortgage easy enough. We did. Do you feel their generation, people think they have it easier, but do they? No, they haven't. Mm. They haven't. It. We, had, we had it a lot easier, I have to say. And like our first house, we bought it for, what, £13,000 mm. at the time. That was back in 1992. It was a two-bedroom house, but we built on... A kitchen and that, you know, but mm. say our original mortgage then would have been 20500 mm. we borrowed and we thought, like, that was a lot of money to be paying for, just pittance in comparison to now. We, we could have went in, anybody could have went in and got, if you were on the door you could have got a mortgage when we got a mortgage. Mm. They were throwing mortgages out left, right and centre, you know, and, and, and probably the price of land wasn't too bad either, uh, considering we bought to the half acre site, it was probably over a half an acre for... 15,000, was it? 14,000. 14, I mean, they wouldn't get a look at a site for that now. You know, no. you wouldn't. Mm. I mean, to pay, if she moved, if Denise moved out in the morning, to pay rent and to put money away for a deposit, it's next to near impossible for them, you know. Irene, what do you think should happen? Well, I know the minimum wage went up by 50 cent, God help us, mm. but it would really want to go up a bit more to be an actual living wage for them to have some hope of being able to save for a deposit. Mm. Because without that, they're not going to. And like this thing of 20 hours one week, 25 the next week. Okay, Denise is on. It's regular enough hours, but it's still not a fortune mm. to be bringing home either. Do you know? Speaking of bringing home, mm. what happens if she wants to bring a couple of friends back or just boyfriend or whatever? How does that all work out? We, we never had any problem with Denise no. bringing back mm. friends there, but... It's hard to have a party when your father, your daddy and mummy are sitting in the kitchen or, or wherever you yeah. are. Just for her privacy, like, I mean, you know. Mm. I mean, I know if I, when I was her age, I didn't want to be bringing back a girlfriend to my mother's house. Like, when you think of it, at Denise's age, I was married and had the two of these, mm. you know. Times are different. Times yeah. are different. Uh, the country has changed in so many ways. But, but, uh, it's accepting gay marriage and all this, you know, and, and, mm. and as it should be, and, and long overdue. But I mean, now they need to start looking at the youth of the country. There's no point in educating them and putting them on a plane, stamping a passport and sending them off to Australia, America or whatever. Because that's what's actually happening. Tom and Irene are worried like many parents. They don't know what advice to be given their young adult children. But given that these millennials are resilient, fearless and have a great sense of adventure, it will be interesting to see the solutions that they come up with to creating independent adult family lives. Thank you for listening. For more information, check out rte.ie forward slash radio one forward slash like family.